Hello and welcome to the NBNX podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA and we are literally next financially with a 24 spending power that you just released yesterday, Keith. Uh, did you have fun projecting all of uh, what could happen in the 24 offseason already? Yeah, I really did. You know, this is one of my favorite exercises to do and then kind of redo at various points in the year and then tweak and adjust as we get closer to the actual offseason because I I like to use this as almost a baseline setting exercise where it is we're going to hear a lot of things. You know, teams are going to make trades this year. We know that will happen. It happens every year. And one of the things that we're going to hear a lot of is, like Philadelphia, I think is a perfect example because Daryl Morey's already given signs of, hey, I could have all this cap space this coming summer, but we might be better off making a trade now and spending a little bit of it and being in a position to have that player now as well as moving forward. So I think what's going to be really interesting with the the this exercise is you want to set the baseline. So you can say, well, Philly could have had 40 million in cap space, but instead they chose to acquire player X. Then now they're not going to have cap space. So stay over the cap and that'll change potential decisions on X, Y, and Z players. So, so I think, think this is a really important exercise to do now. Once we're kind of post extension season, all the extensions are, are you know, largely done. There'll still be a handful that will trickle in guys on the expiring uh, deals and the, in the like will, you know, p- perhaps uh, still sign an extension, but for the most part, we're, we're, you know, where we are until we get into, you know, deep into trade season and teams start really making moves. So this was a great time to take a look at this. Yeah, I love it because it really gives you a picture of what teams may do over the next six months here mm-hmm. you know is it is a team gonna go all in in pre-agency like the lakers did last year are there teams that are gonna have to make moves because they don't necessarily want to be in the second apron for example or tax paying team so it's a i think it's a great exercise from that standpoint just to give you a future outlook of this is where things stand right now obviously it's fluid uh, because one trade or a signing or anything like that, or even an extension for some players may swing one team from having, you know, potential non-taxpayer to the taxpayer. But I, I think it's a great outlook now that it will be super interesting when we do get to the trade deadline and then seeing how much things have swung. Because like you said, you know, once teams start making trades, if you are sending out quite a bit of money and not taking in as much or whatever it might be, that's going to change the outlook going into that offseason. Yeah, absolutely. It really does. It's, you know, sometimes there there might be teams we have listed here as not really being a cap space team and they shed a bunch of money and now they are a cap space team. And then there's other teams when we get into these types of things where that they are a cap space team and then they take on a player or two. And and it's also, it's, it, it's, it was 
good to do this and see where are we in this new world um, with this CBA. One of the things that I think was really important is in the past, it's always been we had kind of cap space teams, we had non-taxpayer teams, and then we had taxpayer teams. So those, those were our, our three buckets. Well, now with the new second apron uh, or the super tax, as we like to call it, uh, being introduced, that has turned into there's now a fourth bucket of teams and going through this exercise and saying, wow, that fourth bucket is actually about a third of the league. That is really, you know, kind of incredible where it is as we kind of get into it. It really looks like, wow, you know, th- this is, you know, going to be a different kind of summer. Now, free agent class doesn't look so good. Uh, we're we're kind of in a spot where we've got some, um, uh, some of the best free agents are probably more likely to extend or re-sign with the teams or with. So that's probably going to really knock this free agency class down. But I only project three teams that I feel very confident in today saying if they don't really make any changes, they'll have cap space. And that's the Orlando Magic, just over $40 million. Philadelphia 76ers, just under $40 million. And the Detroit Pistons at about $38.5 million. And that is the other important thing to note there is that's also not a lot of spending power either. I know that sounds, you know, 40 million sounds like a lot. That's not even enough to get a full 10 years of service max guy under contract. It, it, it's not even enough, I don't think, but let me double check, to get a uh, a regular max. And it isn't because that's going to project at about 42.6 million. That's the kind of guys that are coming off that, you know, first or second contract type, type player. So that's, that's a very... Um, interesting spot to be in where even the cap space teams it's not like they're sitting out there saying yeah we're gonna pick off the two or three best free agents and build that way we've really seen the league turn over a period of about three seasons where it has turned into extensions and then making trades is the way to improve your rosters yeah after reading your piece and i started going through myself in my head we're we're almost on the precipice of the free agency going the way of the Dodo as far as like signing a player that goes to another team, you know, because there isn't that much cap space really out there, especially with these new rules in place. Teams are sort of thinking not necessarily right now, but they're thinking a year or two ahead of time, knowing we have to be to the cap floor by the beginning of a season now. So Can we extend? Can we make a trade? Can we do all of the transactions within a 12-month period instead of in a month period from July to August? Uh, So if I had to project this out, I think we're going to start seeing less and less cap space teams, as you're alluding to here. Yes, you say there could be cap space teams if they renounce and that kind of stuff and then get into having some cap space, but... With the way the rules are structured with this new CBA, it's almost like free agency isn't going to be a thing anymore. Am I reading that wrong? I I don't. I'm not going to say you're reading it wrong because I think there's certainly truth to that right now where we stand. I, I it may be a momentary thing, 
you know, we may see some teams pivot back towards, all right, let's go free agency. But at this point in time, it's an absolutely right read where, you know, as, as I was kind of going through it and I was looking at, all right, who are some of the best free agents? Because that's part of this exercise too, right? Is this team going to push for uh, cap space or are we going to be in a spot where, all right, they're not going to push so much for, for cap space because some of the best free agents are very unlikely to change teams. So as I kind of go through it, like guys like LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Tyrese Maxey, Drew Holiday, Paul George, none of those guys are very likely to change teams. So those are some of the best free agents. So some of the best guys who potentially could change teams, you're looking at guys like Pascal Siakam, DeMar DeRozan, OG Ananobi. Uh, those are the guys that could be very available. But what we might see uh, instead of, all right, let's hope that that's the way it goes. We could very well see a team say, all right, let me go get this guy now. And then I have either the player's bird rights or I have the ability to extend them if they they are you know extension eligible and you have all the, the timing constraints on that. But that's what, what we could see ultimately happen is, all right, I'm getting the guy because I kind of know, all right, I'm, I'm going to keep him. For example, Pascal Siakam, coming you know he's on an expiring contract he has said he doesn't really want to be traded because he's not going to extend anywhere unless it's with the raptors but i think that's probably more about him reading the market and saying hey i've never really had a chance to be a free agent and i could be the top real free agent out there but then you start looking at saying if there's not even enough to offer me the max all right you know maybe that opens him up to you know trade me somewhere and a team may look at it now and say you know what we're going to acquire him because he's a good player he can help us the rest of this year and also we can get his bird rights which are going to be very valuable because he's not maybe a really uh, uh, risk to jump to another team so based off of what you just said there are we looking at a potential where more players are going to request trades or say these are the five or six teams that i want to go to because knowing there isn't that maximum amount of money to to go to in free agency outside unless they did a sign and trade, but not all teams a want to do that. B some can't even do it because they're so far over the apron. You can't mm-hmm. even facilitate that. So are we going to see more of those top tier players that, uh, you know, facilitate those trades to the teams that they want to knowing I want to have my bird rights go to that team. So then I can sign for the maximum in free agency with that team. Yeah, I think it's certainly possible. I I don't it's it's hard because you have to be a very good player to be able to pull that off uh to to be able to especially limit your trade market to where you uh, specifically want to be. So that becomes a, a, a the more of the challenging factor versus just doing it is is one thing, but then you know you really like I said you have to be able to then control that you know process a little bit and I just don't know that all these guys really have that necessarily that ability but what I think we could see is some of these teams like the Suns the Clippers the Warriors the Celtics the Bucks it wouldn't surprise me to see one of them make another big move uh, where they go get a guy because one part is yeah then you get him for the rest of this year you also have his bird rights and those teams are going to be absolutely unable to acquire that kind of player after the trade deadline this year, because what happens is uh, part of the squeeze that's coming on those teams that are up and over that second apron 
what's going to happen for those guys is they or those teams rather they are going to be extremely limited in their ability to acquire outside talent they will pretty much be trade limited to matching 100 percent of the salary no more they right now they get that little buffer that 110 percent buffer that's not a thing anymore that goes away and they can't aggregate together salaries meaning they can't take a 30 million dollar player and a 10 million dollar player and go get a 40 million dollar player that's no longer going to be allowed they 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 are really going to be limited to signing their own uh, draft picks re-signing their own free agents and then signing players to minimum contracts and that's it and like i said that's a third of the league there's nine teams that we project right now to be kind of in that position where that's you know what they're limited against now some of those will change some because they'll do some stuff uh throughout the course of the season that maybe reduces their uh, financial outlay but but for now that's a third of the league that is in that spot and what they may be looking at it is saying Hey, right now, we have three more months till the trade deadline in February to kind of, if we want to go get Pascal Siakam, for example, I'll just keep using him. Uh, if we want to get him, we got to go do it right now. This is our last chance to do something like this. So so we may see you know, moves like that where some of it's player driven, but I think a lot of this is going to be team driven from the side of last chance saloon to add a whole bunch of talent uh, to our roster because we have no other way to get a guy like that for you know, probably a two, three year window until we can reduce our salary, you know, move some money around and really get back into a place where we're under this uh, second apron and we can actually have the uh, freed up ability to go acquire players. Yeah. And looking at those nine, nine teams, I mean, most of them are pretty deep in, I mean, or, Mm -hmm. and, or all in, I mean, the bucks just went all in Minnesota has been all in since last year, making the big trade for Gobert, you know, all the teams you listed here are pretty much all in. So unless they're going to sort of rip it up and trade some of those heavy pieces to get lower or below the second apron, you know, some of them are stuck, like you said, for a few years here, which is going to be fascinating to see that a third of the league is handcuffed essentially. And then you have all these other teams that can actually operate under the quote unquote normal conditions that they've been used to. So it's going to be super interesting from my standpoint to see those other teams making moves. I mean, we've already seen a little bit of it where, Oh, we'll, we'll trade you a second round pick for some money or for a draft pick um, Mm -hmm. so that they can, you know, those second apron teams have something to operate with. But the fact that, you know, Charlotte, Houston, Oklahoma City Thunder, the Spurs, you know, they they pretty much can do whatever they want and bring in and send out. It's going to be fun to see how this really plays out with this new CBA coming into fruition. Yeah, and, 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 and again, I can't emphasize enough that this year, like, you, we've got a few more months left for those really expensive teams to – do a lot of different things, right? They, they can, they, they have just that much more flexibility. Now they have some restrictions on them right now. For example, none of those teams are going to be in a position to, 
to sign a buyout player that made, well, I'll use Kevin Love as an example, made, you know, $28 million, then got waived and signed and signed basically for the minimum. That's not a thing that's going to happen uh, for these teams because they're already, you know, basically there or they're going to be there um, or, or close enough. And so what we're in a position to see here, though, is, you know, what, what happens. And, uh, and uh, now the other thing of those nine teams, you're looking at some of the very best teams in the entire league, right? You know, te- teams that I think everybody is saying, yeah, if I have to pick a title team, it's probably coming out of that group. Maybe there's one or two others. You can sneak in from one of the other groups, but that's where it's at. It's it, it's just going to be very interesting to see which one of them says, all right, you know what? More caution to the wind. Let's let's really go in. Let's let's really say let, let's go get this done. Let's go get you know uh, you know a trade trade done, and where we're going to add, and we'll deal with all the fallout later, and we'll figure it all out. Because again, this is the last window to do moves like that for a lot of these uh, teams that are up over that second apron. And then, you know, our kind of middle-class teams, that's, you know, again, roughly a third to half of the league is kind of sitting in a spot where it's like, all right, you know, a few are probably going to have the non-taxpayer. A couple may may have that. They may be the taxpayer, MLE. Then you've got a couple teams that it's, all right, they're going to be the taxpayer. So like Dallas, Dallas is in a spot where they've got a lot of room under the second apron, but they really only have one roster spot to fill. So they can use that taxpayer MLE. There'll be just over $5 million, go add a player and kind of keep things moving with that. The one that's a little odd is Portland because they think people are, they're rebuilding. Like how are they so close to being a tax team? And as it stands right now, they'll be just over the tax. But you have to remember, uh, yeah, they made their their Damian Lillard trade and the subsequent Drew Holiday trade, but they took on a good amount of money. They took on DeAndre and they took on Malcolm Brown. They took on Robert Williams and they had re-signed Jeremy Grant already. So Portland's sitting on, you know, some pretty sizable salaries uh, for a team that is, you know, very much rebuilding. So it's going to be fun to track all this stuff, you know, as we go Um the, the teams that I think are also fun are the, the teams that could be cap space teams or they could choose to stay over. You know, those are teams like the Thunder or the Rockets. And they have flexibility to kind of build a lot of different ways. You've got some teams there with some real questions like Charlotte. Where are they at? Um, Gordon Hayward's coming off the books. Miles Bridges remains a major question mark for them. Utah could be uh, – they could go under, but then immediately use that cap space to renegotiate and extend Larry Markinen, um with that. And then you've got Washington is just, you know, there's a million directions that team could go as far as, yeah, we're going to stay over and keep Tyus Jones. Or if this season kind of keeps going the way it has been, it might be, uh, let's go a complete different direction, kind of continue the uh, teardown process here. Uh, in DC. So it's going to be really fun to watch, you know, this, and we just, again, we wanted to lay this out there so everybody could see, all right, this is where each team kind of projects to be right now as they build out their roster moving forward. Last question I have right now, and I encourage everyone to go take a read and see where all the teams actually fell. Was there a surprise team outside of Portland? You sort of said Portland already, but it was there another team that once you compiled all of this, you were really surprised to see what level they were in. Yeah. Portland is definitely the one that just kind of jumps off the page for sure. Um, where you're just like, Oh wow. Like they are, 
boy, they they are expensive. I think another team that that seems uh, like it it seems surprising that they're they're up around that second apron is the Memphis Grizzlies. But I think what where we're at now with the Grizzlies is when next year starts, look, John Morant. Jaron Jackson Jr. and now Desmond Bain, all on their rookie scale extensions. Plus, the team added money and trades over the last few years and resignings for guys like Marcus Smart and Steven Adams. So that's a team that is all of a sudden they're really expensive. And that's historically not an organization that's been very expensive. So that's just something to keep an eye on there. Does that uh, you know, start to transition towards uh, we probably got to make a move or two here just to make sure we we you know control things a little bit because if they're they're not firmly in the mix to make the finals then you start thinking about all right well what what are we doing with paying this i think on the other end of the spectrum i think um it's not a surprise because it's all been trending towards this but it's just when you put it on paper, the flexibility Philadelphia has as a already good team is really kind of unheard of because you're really, you could see them go all the way down to, we're going to have Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey in about 65, 66 million in cap space. Or it could be, all right, we're going to use some of it early then go make a trade for a player and really kind of put, put that on the books now and move forward. Or, they were going to keep a couple of our other free agents and the like, and and we'll play with a little bit less money, but that flexibility for a team that's already pretty good, that that's a really interesting spot to be in because generally when we see teams with a lot of that space, there are teams like Orlando and Detroit who are, they're kind of on their way up and trying to get better. They're not there already like Philadelphia is. All right. Looking forward to the next iteration, which will probably be what around trade deadline. Yep, yeah, you, usually, yeah, so unless we get a flood of trades, which, I mean, hey, let's face it, we'll welcome if they start coming in really early, but unless uh, unless we get those, yeah, we'll do another full look post-trade post deadline um, because that's the next kind of big roster shuffle uh, piece, and then we, we'll we'll kind of do uh, you know mini looks at this and update as we get into the uh, offseason, then obviously the big full uh, uh, projection final will come after the draft, but ahead of free agency starting. All right, let's go into some minor transactions that actually have happened here at the beginning of the season. Usually it's pretty quiet, but we've had quite a, you know, a handful of movement here. Bismack Biombo signs with Memphis Grizzlies for more than we probably thought. We thought it was most likely going to be a minimum. It was a one-year, $5 million contract that has a $1 million guaranteed. Thoughts on uh, Biombo going to Memphis yeah, the one million guaranteed part makes a lot of sense because that's roughly he what what they did here was uh, I think we talked about this a little bit, but it's worth refreshing. The Grizzlies moved John Morant to the suspended list, which opens up a roster spot uh, for them. So what what they were able to do is for the final twenty games of Morant's suspension, they can now sign a player, which they did, which was Bismack Biombo. In most cases, those signings end up being a a rest-of-the-season minimum deal with sometimes they guarantee what is roughly the amount of the remaining suspended games that the player will be with the team. That's what Memphis did, but instead of making it a minimum, they made it a $5 million transaction. And by signing it so early, 
Uh, any signing restrictions will lift well in advance of the trade deadline. So now Memphis has another $5 million trade chip if they need it uh, there and then they can move on. He's already starting uh, for the Grizzlies as their front court's just been decimated by injuries. So we'll, we'll, we'll see kind of where that goes. What is interesting, though, is giving him $5 million and giving him the $1 million guarantee. That kind of locks into unless the team is really in rough shape or and or Biombo is really bad, they're probably going to waive someone else when John Morant returns at, after the 25 games are up of his suspension, uh, which happens like right. I, I think the last one is right before Christmas. So w- when he kind of comes back to the Grizzlies, the contract size for Biombo says he probably sticks and they move somebody else, but we've got it, you know, still over you know, almost two months to go until we get there. So that's going to be something to just keep an eye on. The Gold State Warriors signed Gui Santos. I hope I said that correctly. It's uh, Gui. Yeah. Gui. Gui. All right. Yep. Uh, three year, $5.14 <laughs> million. They use the second except second round exception. Now, when I saw that, I was, you know, I kind of scratched my head. So I'm hoping you can clarify. So this new second round can be, is retroactive to anyone that hadn't signed. That was a second round pick. It's not just from this season forward. Is that correct? Yep, that is correct. Yeah. You can sign anybody who you own uh, draft rights for that was a second round pick. Uh, so so they, there are ones that are hanging out for years and years there. So some that are certainly not coming over, which is just kind of funny that the teams continue to retain their draft rights. Uh, guys who are older than you and I, Scott. So, so they're, they're probably not making their NBA debut at, <laughs> you know, in, in their fifties and sixties, I'm guessing. So, um, but then there is uh yeah, guys like Santos who were drafted, he was drafted in 2022 and, the Warriors essentially drafted him and then stashed him in the G League. He played in the G League last year. Uh, he's been the plan was to be in the G League, but why this signing is interesting uh, with him is Golden State. So when they did their final regular season roster, they dropped down to 13 players. You have to be at 14 players. Uh, you can only go under the 14 players, and this is on standard contracts to to be certain. You can only go under 14 players on standard deals for up to two weeks at a time. And new in this new CBA, you can only do that for up to 28 days total in the season. So so you can't even play the old game of, all right, do it and then uh, wave the guy and then do it for two more weeks and wave the guy. So in the Warriors case, because one, they are a um, tax paying team, which we know, they are a repeater team, which I think most people know, and they are so far deep into the tax brackets. Every signing they make roughly accounts for about six to seven times what the player's actual salary is um, being paid as far as the tax bill goes, because that's the penalties they get hit with. <clears throat> so what we saw the Warriors do, rather than bring in a prorated veteran guy like Rudy Gay or Rodney Magruder, two guys who were in camp with the Warriors, excuse me, rather than do that, they chose to bring in Guy Santos. And why this is also different than just signing any uh, undrafted player or anything like that, Santos has a draft pick. What his number hits the, the cap, and more importantly in this case, for the Warriors, that the taxes is his prorated uh 
rookie minimum amount. So that that is you're just over a million dollars. And then that million gets times up by that six to seven amount for the tax penalty versus if you brought in an undrafted guy, they count at the two-year rookie minimum or the two-year veteran minimum rather, or a veteran like Rudy Gay or Rodney Magruder would have also counted at the prorated two-year vet minimum. In this, by doing it this way, the Warriors saved about six, almost seven million dollars uh, total uh, real money in terms of tax penalties by bringing in Santos as one of their own draftees uh, to to come in. Now, are we ever going to see Guy Santos on the court for the Warriors? Yeah, maybe here and there in garbage time. But for the most part, they signed him. They immediately reassigned him to the G League. So for Guy Santos, great work for him. He gets paid a little bit more uh, than he would have got paid otherwise. And then he gets to go play in the G League, which is where he is. And his guarantee amount of $75,000 reflects what his G League uh, guarantee likely would have been to go play in the G League for the Warriors. So we're, we're just in a spot where... This was really all about tax adjustments uh, for Golden State, but important when we're talking about you know seven million dollars in real money. Kevin Knox signed with the Detroit Pistons. He goes back to there after uh, he was there for a stint, wasn't he? Uh, yep, and then he got traded like to Portland right. last year at the deadline. So they brought him back uh, just to fill roster spot. What, what, what's why are they signing him now? Yeah, I think what happened with Detroit was they were for it, it, odd to me for a team that is not great to sit on an open roster spot. But what it seemed like the Pistons were willing to do was, hey, we're going to sit on an open roster spot. We're going to play our two-way guys. Some we'll, we'll kind of let it go. Uh, Stanley Umude, who's one of their two-way guys, has been seeing regular uh, minutes in their rotation. But then what happened was, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich has been out longer than I think initially was expected. Same with Isaiah Livers. Monte Morris and Alec Burks both went down with injuries. And then you had, um, they, they got hit with some illnesses as well. And all of a sudden it was, all right, we need bodies. We, we need someone who we know can just step in and play and do what we need. And I'm guessing that turned them to, hey, Kevin Knox is available. He was with us last year. Uh, he should be able to step right in and play. We know him. We, we know there's a comfort level with him in our locker room. So let's go ahead and bring him back kind of in now. Um, they did this on a, it's a minimum deal. It's also uh, non-guaranteed, so they can move on at any point and just pay him out his guaranteed amount. But that's that's where if you're you're Detroit, I think you just kind of look at it and say, all right, we're going to bring in Knox and just kind of kind of go forward because we just need to have bodies because we've been so hit with injuries and illness. Not a transaction, but it's been rumored. Um, so maybe it's coming down the pipeline. Primo is reportedly going to convert to a standard. So I just wanted to do a quick NBA 101. What does it mean for a player to go from a two-way to a standard instead of, you know, the exhibit 10 to the two-way that we talked about a couple weeks ago? Yeah, so once we're in the season and a player's on a two-way contract, the team has kind of unilateral rights to convert them to a to a standard contract if they want to. The player can't block it. The player can't say no. So what happens in this case is uh, with Josh Primo, the Clippers are going to convert him by all reports uh, to a uh, standard contract that becomes a one-year rest of the season standard contract and then whatever rights uh, the team would have to the player after, whether it be restricted or unrestricted, 
those will hit. The other option that that we see quite often is the team and the player agree to. It's not a straight conversion, but what it is is they end the two-way contract and they immediately sign the player to a standard contract, but it can be a standard contract up to whatever signing exception they have allows. It's often the the, uh, the, the minimum exception, and in this case with the Clippers, that's what it would be, which would be a two-year contract um, at the veteran minimum amount, of course, prorated uh, for where we're at in the season. So there's a chance that could be what happens here with Primo. There's also a chance that, that what the Clippers are really doing here, they have to do this by next Wednesday. Again, they were after the James Harden trade. They dropped down to 13 players on standard contracts uh, because they immediately moved uh, Philip Petrosev in another deal. So what the Clippers have kind of done here is as they, they they look at their roster, they've got to get this, this transaction done. But if you wait until the deadline to do it, which would be, again, next Wednesday, uh, which I think is the 15th, they could do that. Then, and they save quite a bit because right now Primo doesn't cost them anything against their tax bill. So because he's on a two-way contract. So that's my guess is they're just going to hold out. There's also the slight possibility because of the injury to Mason Plumley, uh, where he's going to be out for several weeks uh, with a knee injury that he suffered a couple nights ago. The Clippers may be rethinking and saying, all right, this is not the straight path we want to necessarily go down. We may need to add another big. So maybe there, there's some rethinking of this that's being done. But my guess is what's going to happen here is they're just waiting until the deadline. Uh, they're going to save another you know, week's worth of uh uh, tax money off of converting Primo. They'll convert Primo to a standard deal. Probably in this case, I think it will be a straight conversion. And then they're going to backfill his two-way spot uh, with Xavier Moon, who's a guy who's he's been with the Clippers the last couple of years uh, on and off the regular roster, but played in the in their G League program. And now he'll come back to the team on a two-way. Last question I have with Primo, which is why I added him is the reportedly is he was suspended for four games. So uh-huh. when his suspension, you know, for the f- amount of money that he is being docked, is it going to be based off of the standard contract? Does it come out of what he would have made with the two way? How does that work? Yeah, it's a good question. I think in his case, cause he's already on the roster, it's already coming out um, of where he would be um, with his two way deal. But that's a good question. We could see, I would have to look into that a little bit deeper to understand all right, does this ding them because of where he is uh, moving over to a um, to to a standard contract? Do they do do they uh, kind of um, collect it from there? That that's a that's a question I'm not entirely sure of um, the the answer to. I think it's already been done because we're clearly more than four games into the season. Right. And I think that's why you know it's been done the way it's been done. But but it, it could be we we could see him converted and then immediately there. But I think. You know, two-way players can be suspended just like anybody else can. So I assume it's already been taken care of. Okay, awesome. All right, we are eight, nine games, depending on what team you're looking at, into the season. Uh, You know, we had so much movement, new signings, the big trades, extensions. So on a super small sample size of eight or nine games, what's your biggest surprise team right now? 
Yeah, I think on the positive end, it's the uh, 76ers getting off to that 6-1 and one start. They've won six in a row after losing on their opener. Uh, they, they've really played well, and I think uh, we, we've seen this team that they, they could have let that James Harden distraction linger over them as they kind of got, got the season cranking up here, but they, they really didn't. They they played through that quite well, and now they're in a position where not only did they play through that quite well, but now it's gone. It's over and done with, and they, they can just move forward with, all right, this is our team. This is what you know what we know and, and where we're going to kind of keep keep uh moving into to the next you know iterations of whatever we are and i think there's still probably more moves to come uh for that team just given the way things are kind of set up uh for philadelphia but you know they, they've been really impressive and then i'll also say the houston rockets they 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 lost their first three games and it was kind of like all right this was everybody was super high on these guys and maybe jumped in a little too early and now they've won their last four games really in pretty impressive fashion, beating a, you know, some good teams in that stretch and beating some of them pretty badly. So that I think Houston is starting to kind of come around. I don't know that I'm going to say they're going to be a right now they're sixth in the West. I don't think they finish there. I don't even think they finish in the play in race, but if they're battling for a play play in tournament spot, uh, by the time we kind of get to, to the trade deadline, that's a win because that's a huge step forward for this team. All right. So what's the biggest surprise on the negative side? Um, I'm just kind of looking at the standings. There's, there's a couple teams that are, it's clearly injury driven, like Memphis. Mm-hmm. I, I still think, I don't think anybody thought they'd be one and seven. They, you know, I think we all thought, all right, they, they they might struggle out of the gate, but they've really struggled. Uh, their offense is just, it's tough. They, they, they're they really struggling to, to do what they need to do offensively right now. And uh, teams are really, when I watch them play, teams are loading up on Desmond Bain and making life really difficult on him and forcing other Grizzlies to beat him. And he just doesn't have the help he needs with, with John Morant uh, out right now. So that's, that's a, that's one uh, team that that has you know really had some struggles. Then it's not a surprise to me because I wasn't very high on them to begin with this year. But the Chicago Bulls, they're three and six. They just can't seem to get out of their own way. Um, it, it just further leans towards where are we going with this team? You know what what is the goal here? Is the goal to be forty one and forty one and in the play in tournament? Because if it is, all right, you're probably headed somewhere in that direction. Maybe. That's slightly less than that, which would also be, you know, a pretty major disappointment. But I just I don't understand what the 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 goals are, what kind of team the Bulls are really trying to be. And that just always leaves me a little frustrated because it's kind of like as you get to this point, it's like, all right, what 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 are we doing here? You know, where where are we going? Because just sitting in the middle is not not a place where you should want to be. But they seem perfectly content with it. So is there a team, not that they will right now because most of the league is trade restricted until December 15th, but is there a team that if they could and should pull a trade to try to uh, fix the ship now, is there that team or are we just too small of a sample size? Yeah, I think it's probably still too small. Again, I mean, I'm not going to continue to pick on the bulls and I certainly don't expect the bulls to hold a fire sale and start selling off all their guys. Even if that is the direction I think that this team should probably head in, but I think we're in a spot where it's, it's a little too early. You know, I think, um, 
you know, teams that have struggled out of the gate that we had high expectations for can very easily look at it and say, all right, it was injuries or we're really working in our new guys and we're trying to figure this out. Um, one team I am going to say we probably want to keep an eye on, and I'm not saying that they should do anything today, but we're, we're probably getting closer to that point. The New Orleans Pelicans, at some point, something has to give with, look, we just got to get guys who can play and are going to be on the, the court more often because I think we're in a spot with the Pels where it's it just this mix has too many injury risk players where we're betting on the upside, but if we're not going to get there, like what, what, what kind of, what, what are we doing? You know, where are we going with this? So that becomes a you know major challenge of our, what, what is this team going to be? And I, I'm just kind of got my eyes on them a little bit of, you know, it's not make a trade just to make a trade, but make a trade to try to shake things up and get, you know, more, uh, more, knowns i guess health wise in the door get some guys that you feel pretty good are going to play you know 70 plus games each year and you can feel pretty good about being on the floor because right now that that mix is just really not working you traveled over the last weekend and were able to participate in a fun interesting mock trade deadline uh can you tell us about that and also you were able to see Wemby live. So we'll hit that last. But how, how did this mock trade deadline work? I'm, I'm very interested in, uh, and I'm sure others are interested in seeing and hearing the logistics behind a mock trade deadline in November when that actually happens in February, March. Yeah, it was super cool. So this was kind of the the, the brainchild of uh, Kyle Goodyear, um, who is a student at the Arizona State uh, University uh, College of Law. And he is, um, I will focused on sports law uh, out there and you know, knowing Kyle, he is uh, going to go on to do something big in the, the field of law, whether it's worked for a team or an agency or something um, with that, you know, just a, you know, extremely talented, bright uh, young guy who is, you know, just going to do big things. But he had this idea. He had done sports business classroom in Las Vegas, uh, which is associated with summer league. And it's uh, one of its goals is to help people try to get jobs in the world of basketball. And Kyle went back to school and said, it would be really cool if we could do this event and bring in a bunch of kids who maybe they can't get to Las Vegas for a week for any number of reasons, but we can have them come out here and we'll host it here at Arizona state. And he really put it all together and he had a lot of great help from both uh, faculty as well as a lot of his fellow students. But what they did brought in over a hundred students from all over the country, all kinds of schools, East coast, West coast, uh, middle of the country schools, uh, even uh, a student team came in from Hawaii and they assigned all of them an NBA team randomly and said, all right, you're going to be this team for the weekend. And what the, what the goal was is on uh, we're going to lay out, all the rules and everything, but you're going to have to go learn the CBA and the trade rules. And then for a five hour window, you're going to be able to simulate the trade deadline. 
and these teams are going to sit down and there was representatives from all 30 teams and you're going to try to make trades if you feel, feel like it is there. And then at the end of the day, um, what you're going to do is you're going to do a presentation for a group of judges of which I was one. And there were folks from NBA teams. There were some other media folks there. There were some other cap people like me uh, there. And we were going to judge them and ultimately pick a, a winning team. That that won uh, the mock trade deadline, and we we felt really good about saying like, hey, they they win, and they they are uh, you know the the team that you know made the best moves and justified them in the best way. So what they did was uh, they rang the bell at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, and said, all right, trade period is open, go nuts, and boy did they ever! Uh, in that five hour window, I want to say we had about forty five total trades made and they ranged from major blockbuster deals uh to you know minor hey we traded this guy for a top 55 protected second rounder in a uh, pseudo salary dump um the understanding of the trade rules uh of the salary caps of all those things for these students was was blew my mind they were so well prepared and came in with the ideas of this now did we agree with every move every team made Nope, but they all did a really good job of justifying why they thought it was the right move for for their team. Uh, we only had a couple of trades when they came up to the... So what we had was myself, Eric Pincus from Sports Business Classroom and Bleacher Report, and Jeff Siegel from Clutch Sports. We functioned as the trade checkers. Um, so what they would do is when they would agree to a trade, they would come up and they would tell us the components of the trade, uh, we, we even had a couple multiple team trades. So a representative from each team would come up and tell us, here's what the trade is. Here's who's getting this. Here's who's getting this. And then uh, we, between Eric, Jeff, and I, we would go through the different pieces of the trade. All right, so you're saying you're trading this draft pick. You know, but what happens if it's you know protected? Okay, great. You have that as well. And we went through all of it. We only had a couple that came up where we were like, eh, that doesn't quite work. You know, go back and rethink it, um, which was really, really, uh, you know, kind of blew me away because even myself, I can tell you how many times I've tried to trade in the trade machines and it's been like, oop, that didn't work. Okay, all right, all right I see what I'm missing about a million bucks and I got to make it work another way. That's been, you know, that that was really fun to see just how much these students were, you know, locked into the rules. And then they had to do an eight minute presentation and they were strict. It was eight minutes exactly. And a couple teams learned just how quickly eight minutes goes and got cut off the next day uh, to the group, to all the judges and to all their fellow competitors on this is why we did what we did. Uh, the winners of the mock trade deadline competition at Arizona State first uh, annual were the team that represented the Los Angeles Lakers. I believe the uh, the group of gentlemen were all from uh, the uh, Tulane uh, in their law law program there, and they were all um, from from there. And that was the cool thing was you had some law students, you had some uh, folks who were more analytics minded, uh, some guys who were you know huge basketball fans, uh, and got together. And that there was when they had to justify the trade, they had to justify it for cap reasons, for uh, just scouting reasons. Did they understand what the team's timeline was? You know, did they take a team that is obviously contending for a title and then make rebuilding trades? We 
dinged a couple of teams for that because it was like he didn't really kind of make make moves uh, that did that. And then there was plenty of time, uh, both uh, really over the course of three days uh, that were there Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for networking with the students, uh, just getting to talk to them. I met so many uh, people, Scott, who are like, I'm on spot track every day, you know, and I, and I use it all the time. I even met, uh, you know, one girl who is, she's like, not really an NBA person, but I wanted to do this because this is what I want to do. She's like, but I live on the NHL section of the site. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm always, you know, in there looking at stuff. She's a huge hockey fan. Um, they, they were, I met another uh, guy who's a big time football guy. So he was, he was like, yeah, I'm always all over the football stuff. And just a lot of great things I uh, said about the site. And we, we were uh, at spot track, one of the presenting sponsors of the event and the students were uh, used our cap sheets for everything throughout the course of the event. But it, it could not, if you had came in, you would have thought this thing was in its 10th year. Uh, running i'm sure behind the scenes they felt like it was you know fires everywhere to be put out but they ran it they ran it really well um everything was you know really buttoned down um you know it it worked you know almost seamlessly it was it was a really cool event and for somebody like me all i wish is that it existed when i was in in college because i would have been all over an event like this yeah it sounds fascinating i'm curious you said that you had a a mix of everybody including analytical minds so did you did the teams have built models including financial and statistics that they were running from a you know an ai standpoint or just spreadsheet standpoint What, what did you notice from that yeah it was funny a couple of them did now they were also given access to a couple other the 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 sponsors so cerebro sports who does some of the the um ties in some of the analytics type stuff uh with with into uh, some of that they were given access to some of their uh proprietary stats that they could go look up and in the like uh with that but but one team came up and said hey we built our own model and they were um, they were assigned their teams um, in advance of coming. I, I think it was somewhere between like a few days and a week out. They knew so that they could start to prepare because almost all of the students came in as a team. So like I said, that you had that team from Tulane. There was a team from Case Western uh, University. There was a team from um, uh, Arizona State as the host. There was a team from uh, North Carolina and North Carolina State did a combined team that came in but then there were a handful of uh, free agent participants who then they were kind of grouped together and assigned to a team um and they, they were put together but they were all given a chance and one of these teams came in and said yeah we built our own model which they basically said we knew what we wanted to do as a team and in their model that they built they targeted upside players on value contracts it was kind of funny because it was almost like um in the movie Moneyball, when Pete is like scrolling through his spreadsheets and he's <laughs> like, there's a team in here we can afford, right? It wasn't exactly like that because we're in the scholar cap environment, but it was kind of like that where they're like, we picked out these, you know, five players that we wanted to target to go after. And, and those were the guys that they, they ended up getting a couple of them, which was pretty cool to see, you know, that they put that level of effort in, into, you know, we really want to get this. And it was funny. There was, I think, think you had a couple teams that they were very late in the day on Friday and they were hardcores, just like kind of the real NBA, the, the trade deadline period ended at 6 PM. And they were literally, if you weren't in the queue, and in this case, it was an actual queue of people standing in front of us at the trade table. Um, 
if you weren't in that queue, you could not get in late. And if something failed at that point, which thankfully none of them did, but if something had failed, it would have been like, all right, well, this is completely out. So it was a lot of fun to kind of go through those logistics as well. Yeah, it'll be super interesting to see how this uh, grows over the next few years if it does continue to do so. How how was uh, Wemby live? Unbelievable. Um, so I landed early Thursday morning in Phoenix, Phoenix time after getting up uh, ridiculously early here in Orlando. I, I left the, the the house here at three thirty in the morning. I was up at three a.m. Uh, I landed in Phoenix with the time adjustment and everything. It was um, you know it was probably about ten eleven o'clock by the time I got over to my hotel, but because Phoenix had had the World Series in town the night before. They had a massive accountant convention in town uh, that week. It was like 100,000 accountants were in town. And you had the the Suns and Spurs. The Spurs, they played one of those uh, mini series where the Spurs were in town two days in a row. And they, I believe it was the final NASCAR race of the year. It was. was coming in town that weekend. <laughs> it was packed. So they were, the hotel was beautiful. The staff was amazing. They, they helped me set up somewhere in the lobby so that I could work. I'm off of their Wi-Fi um, because it, it took a while to get to a room. So the reason why I'm saying all this is I literally, by the time I got to my room, it was like two hours before the game was going to start. And I was like, you know, I'm so tired. I think I just want to go shower and grab a nap and then grab some food and just call it a night and go to bed. And then I said, you know what? If something crazy happens, I'm never going to forgive myself for not going over to the game. So I went over, I went to the game, I, I got a ticket, which was a pretty good seat, because um, I didn't want to go on a credential because I wasn't sure. I, I didn't want to ask for a credential and then have my travel get messed up and not be there, um, knowing because there were a lot of international media there because it was that two-game miniseries. I think it was a chance, hey, one of the best teams in the league in Phoenix, and we can cover Wemby twice in the same city without having to move around the U.S. and all that. So I got there, got my ticket, really great seat. Uh, that that arena in Phoenix, it's one of the older ones in the league now. So you're still, like, every seat in the place is good because it's not, it's just not this giant cavernous place. Um, it still feels relatively small and intimate. But watching him just in person for the first time since Las Vegas in a real game where he clearly was not exhausted and just run down like he was in Vegas because his, his season in France had just ended a week or two before. He was an experience. And the Spurs were up big in that game. They blew a, blew a big lead. The Suns rallied. And then the Spurs basically said, all right, big fella, take us home. Get us this win. And he did. And it was just so cool to be there to watch his kind of, that was almost like his first big NBA moment where it's like, all right, this guy is going to be something um, because he dominated the game on both ends of the floor. There was just at points. There was nothing uh, Phoenix can could, could do with him. And that was just so cool to watch and experience live. Like I, it, I, I left and I said, the, the, the advice I can give people always go. You know, even if you're tired, even if that, like I, I have no regrets that I missed out on some sleep and I, I basically walked back to the hotel and fell into bed and went to sleep. Um, no regrets uh, from, from that whatsoever. Like it was just so cool to be in the building for it. Quite the weekend there, Keith. I hope you've, you're rested up here <laughs> after all of that yeah. now. Um, so what is next for us now that 
You've done the 24 cap space. I'm assuming we're transitioning into more of the next contract series. Yep, that's what we're going to do. We're, we're starting to identify, and I'll throw this as an opportunity if anybody is wondering, hey, what might the next contract look like for a player? Um, all we ask is, don't ask, like, what's Jalen Brown's next contract going to look like? <laughs> no one cares. He's on it now. Like, that's what his next contract is uh, for several years. Or, you know, well, what is it going to look like for Anthony Edwards? He signed an extension. Like, there's nothing there. But if you are if you have a player where you're really like, man, I really want to know what is it going to look like for this player? You know, what can he do? It's even more fun if they're not just going to be a free agent, if there's extension possibilities and the like, just because it gives us a little more variance to write about. Hit me up. You can find me on social media. My email is in my bio um, as well on uh, Twitter X. You can send me um, send me an email suggesting a player. I'm more than happy uh, to add them to the list. But we're going to get into more of the next contract stuff. Uh, before we know it, I mean, we're you know, roughly a month out from the early trade season open. Opening. So, you know, early in December, I'll have some kind of article out there that that explains. All right. Here's kind of where we're at um, with uh, the, um, you know, guys who could be trade candidates right away. Uh, often that's a offseason signing that's not working out or a player who they've been with the team and their role is completely changed. So we always do that in early December. And then I am going to do um, a little bit more of a deep dive into Philadelphia's situation specifically, because it was funny, almost on the heels of the piece coming out, there was a lot of, I think you're too low on Philly. I heard they could have, you know, 70 million in cap space. So explaining, because there are a lot of pathways the 76ers can go down. And I think it's worth exploring that a little bit deeper. So I think I'm going to put something like that together as well, just so people understand like, Hey, here's, here's what it is. And it's, it's actually all good because it's a ton of flexibility, but that's the kind of stuff that, that we're moving into too, along with, you know, just, already prepping and doing a lot of work on our free agents and you know what guys you know you know were available this summer and all those kind of things while you know continuing to monitor games and everything else that we do yeah great stuff keith uh i'm glad you had fun last weekend and now you're knee deep into the nba season <laughs> here like you said if you're looking to ask questions suggest uh, a contract that you're interested in. I mean, we had some really interesting ones last year with the rene renegotiate and sign uh, and extend a any kind of those uh, kinds of players that you're interested in. Please let Keith know. So he knows what to target and rank his uh, list of players. In addition to what we've already come up with um, he's at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. And I will also plug if you are interested in the mock trade deadline and you have further questions, please hit him up on that. I'm sure he'd be glad to explain more or how to get involved with that. Uh, yeah, for Keith Smith, yeah, for Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next podcast.